Welcome to Dark Side of the Moon. Welcome back to another episode. I'm your host, Vincent Green. I'm your host, Alton Tui. We got Karen Mack in the back. This is Dark Side of the Moon. Let, <laughs> let's get to motherfuckers. And then nearly said the end of it. All right, folks, we're back with another episode. And this time we're back again with Will Johnson. Will, I'm dragging you through the murky waters of the MCU. First, I brought you through The Incredible Hulk with Don Shanahan. This time I was like, I'll give Don a break. I'll bring him back for an awesome movie. But Will, I said, I'll punish you a little bit more. Just a smidgen <laughs> more. And I brought you back for Iron Man 2. Will... Thanks for coming back, man. Really happy to see you. And uh, what did you make of Iron Man 2? And how do you think it's aged over the past decade or so? Well, what, uh, you know, to cut right to it, I mean, there would be no MCU without this film. Um, uh, What I find amazing about this film is um, it's hard to believe this is the third film in the MCU because there is such a... um, built-in quality already to it. Um, it feels like some of the like phase two films already because, or even phase three, because like Nick Fury just feels like he's, it feels like he's been there forever. You know, yeah. Black Widow comes in and fits in seamlessly, you know, yeah. um, the deliciously. Story, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the continuing arc of Tony feels very lived in is the, is the thing. Like, mm. If you if you the world feels established, yeah, he is yeah. Iron Man now. Like we, we that's yeah, it. It, there's no like awkward sophomore step with the character, like where you're like maybe trying to fix any errors from the first one, even though there really isn't any because that film's perfect. Yeah, but awesome. um, great movie. But it it just it feels like I know film people film people are going to be mad. <laughs> I say <this>. cinema, but, <laughs> but it feel it feels like a mid season two episode of a, of a show. Like it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a movie. It feels like an ongoing kind of like how I've I've also compared that with like the lethal weapon films, like lethal weapon four to me feels like, Oh, this is episode three of season five of lethal weapon. Like it feels so lived in and comfortable and it, it, it helps you accept the idea that yeah, these different pieces and different parts from different movies can exist together, you know, and they can still be their own thing. Because Iron Man Two is its own story. Completely it's not connected to the. It's not connected to the giant world of Marvel, no. but it also has these connections that brings that world together. So, in that sense, Iron Man Two is an immense success and would be a blueprint for how to build this universe. Yeah. Uh, that said, the story on its own, like the Iron Man Two story, where, where it's just the Tony Stark story is kind of all over the place and it's a little bit of a mess. Yeah, it's disjointed. Uh, it's not as tight as Iron Man 1. Um, and it would, in terms of how it's aged, yes, it, it seems a little bit, you know, uh, not counting all the universe connections. In terms of like Tony's story, this seems like a minor step. You know, Iron Man 1 and 3 and then all the Avengers movies, they feel like you're making monumental steps Yeah, with... Tony Stark. This one feels like, oh, he's kind of dying of a thing. And I mean, it does have, we'll get to it later, but it does have probably one of my favorite moments of any Tony Stark moment involving his father. Um, but uh overall it just it does just feel like a 
misadventure for Tony Stark as opposed to a monumental yeah. step forward or backward for him. It feels uh, to me like a complete, like the, sig- the sequel trope or something I said to you before we yeah. started recording. It's like, we got to go bigger. We had one uh, robot. We need uh, 15 robots. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like, oh, this guy's from his past. We need a guy that's even deeper, darker from his past. It's yeah. like, it's just kind of like we need to up, up, up the ante constantly. And they were doing that like throughout the movie. And a lot of times when you're just focusing up in the ante from the original, you kind just of for the like, point of, just for the sake of it. Yeah, exactly. It loses that kind of, as you said, uh, kind of direction in terms of its narrative. Yeah. Because you're trying to like, well, let's make this bigger. Let's make this bigger. Let's do this. And let's do this. And yeah. sometimes you just be, need to be go, okay, we need to make it a personal story again because that's what worked was the first time. So we need to find someone from the past. So to find Ivan Venko, it's not his name. So they find him. Um, you don't need to go initially really necessarily bigger with the story. You can just have similar elements and you don't need 15 drones to make the action sequence at the end bigger. You just need someone that is as equal intellectually as Tony. And that's what Ivan proved to be. He just didn't have the same technology or the same guidance at younger age that Tony did. So that's what Tony was like, you should double your cycles. And and straight away he did, like, you know what I mean? It's like, I think that character, like, they should have shown the more intellectual side. And I think if you shed some of the bigger or better, the so-called bigger or better in air quotes, then you can have a chance to really delve into him, develop him as a character and show that he's a true equal to Tony. He just is an equal in a very different way than like Justin Hammer or an Obadiah Stane from the first movie, you know? Well, even that is the inherent flaw and you can forgive it in the first one. Mm. And I'm a huge Iron Man 3 guy. I don't know how you guys feel. I love Trash Iron Man movie. 3. No, I didn't like it, to be honest. Boo! Boo <laughs> I think it's... Uh, I mean, I'm a Shane Black guy. All his movies are five stars to me. They're amazing. Apart from uh, The Predator, Iron Man 3. I didn't hate, but I don't... It's not a five-star movie. But yeah. if there is one flaw that they could never fix with Tony Stark, and it's not... And it's carried over into the Spider-Man movies, too, because... To me, Iron Man 2, Spider-Man Far From Home um, yeah. uh, are weaker entries in the MCU to me. Yeah, Tor Dark if, World as well. There's, if there's one thing that they've repeated in, in at least four movies, so Iron Man 1, 2, 3, and Spider-Man No Way Home, is it's always somebody that Tony dicked over in his past that comes back to haunt somebody. Like, mm. number in the first one, it's Obadiah Stane is literally the, the enemy from within. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man 2, you've got, uh, I, uh, what's his name? Ivan uh, Vanko. You've got Vanko, literally. You've got Hammer, who like wants to be Tony Stark. Yeah. Iron Man 3, you got Killian, the Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mandarin. yeah. Uh, in this case, uh, the, the terrorist named after an orange. as yeah. uh, <laughs> Or a language, um, depending on what way you want to view it. <laughs> And then this is the bizarre part about Spider-Man uh, Far From Home. And I'm, I, I keep wanting to say No Way Home because I've just been in the mode. But in Far From, it now. not only do you have Jake Gyllenhaal, Mysterio being literally dicked over by Tony Stark, but they even bring back, <laughs> this drove me nuts, they even bring back the box of scraps guy. <laughs> be like the sidekick to Mysterio, you know? Like yeah. the guy that Obadiah Stane yells at for one scene in Iron Man 1, yeah. he's an integral villain now. Like, so it, it's almost like ridiculous to the point where, like, anybody Tony Stark, oh, oh, you know what? And I just thought of another one, even uh, in Civil War, 
Tony's yeah. whole arc is spurred on by the fact that this woman's like, hey, you fucking killed my son, even though you didn't literally kill him. Yeah. yeah. You, like, I, I, I'm not saying that it's like... Very retroactive in his storytelling. Winter Soldier fucked him over in the past, so it's the same thing. Just they, they just did it oh, the other way around. That's true, that's true. So it... This is what inevitably happens in any connected universe. It's it's kind of the thing of like how like in Friends, which I hate, eventually they're all going to sleep with each other and all have relationships with each other. You know, they're, they're, it's going to get to the point. It's not quite as um, uh, bad as I've heard on other shows like with Spider-Man 3 where everybody's standing next to each other, knows each other some way, even though it's New York City, you know? Yeah. But that's that I know Don doesn't like. He doesn't like how everyone's connected in New York City. Like six people know each other, even though it's a city full of 8 million people. <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to say it's lazy, but it is... Convenient. Too convenient. Like, yeah. I, would, I would like, you know, um, they touched a little bit on it in Infinity War, like where, you know... Stark is so renowned on Earth that even Thanos knows who he is. Yeah. You know, he, you're not you're not the only one cursed with knowledge. Yeah, and they it's almost like a they they kind of are natural enemies because they have these goals and they're they're this legendary across the universe, but they never met. Like that makes more sense to me. Someone would hear about Tony Stark, and maybe like Hammer is probably the closest because he literally wants to be Tony Stark. He's got the dancing suits and the technology. So it makes more sense if someone is inspired by or affected by Tony Stark as opposed to being directly linked to his past. Yeah, good point. Being his enemy, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that that is, if there's anything I can find that is... It has to be included. Like, uh, Killian in Iron Man 3 is pissed off because Tony Stark was like, yeah, I'll meet you on the roof. And he doesn't. Where it's like, okay, yeah, dude, you 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 got, you know, di dicked over for one night for one second by a super celebrity that you had barely a chance to talk to. <laughs> That's fine. You don't need to create an evil empire. Yeah, yeah. Got him for it. And then, like I said, in no way or no way home. Jesus, far from home. <laughs> I can understand Jake Gyllenhaal being mad, but the guy that worked for Stark that gets yelled at once, yeah, he's like, I'm going to help take over the world. Let's. It just gets more convoluted as it goes on. So, and do you think that's a case of like the more you expand your universe? Like when you're expanding your universe outward, right? The only way to create connections to the pre-existing universe is recon. Like that's why, you, like you know what I mean. You're constantly having to recon. Like you have to retroactively go back and change the continuity because the bigger the universe gets, yeah. the the more and more tenuous these connections are to the villains. If you want to make the stories more personal, you know, like because like that's yeah. what Marvel does. You know, each villain, even like Batman less so or DC sometimes less so, but each villain in Marvel seems to have to have this personal link with its superhero before they can do battle. Yes, and I and this is why I'm a little excited for uh, not a little. I'm very excited, but um, <laughs> this is why I think. Hello, Peter. Phase four <laughs> is going to be very interesting um, because they are going. I mean, if you look at all the stuff that's come out in phase four so far, everything seems. I, I am struggling to see how they're all going to connect everything together because we have gotten so many different disparate strands of the marvel universe in phase four we've got you've got the street level stuff you've got hawkeye and yeah. falcon Winter soldier right yeah those are very like earth-based grounded 
isolated minor threats, right? Mm. Yeah. Hawkeye, you got the tracksuit mafia, Falcon Winter Soldier, you've got uh, whatever it was called. The Flag Smashers. The Flag Smashers. Yeah. So, you know, that's very isolated, very specific to like the world or just a country. Mm. But then you've got Loki, which is like literally like ripping apart the fabric of the universe. Yeah. You've you've got Shang-Chi, which not only introduces now realms within a universe, like you've got a have an alternate dimension within earth so that brings up a whole new thing like magic and mysticism yeah but also they have this thing about how the rings have come from somewhere else yes you know and you've got scarlet witch is a big one as well Mm. now you've got this multiverse of madness you got scarlet witch carrying a fabric of reality they have managed to do what would happen in phase one through three was very logical step four. They've called it the Infinity Saga. It leads up to Thanos. It makes yeah. sense. Like there's kind of a logical bridge and they slowly brought everybody together. Now the universe is wide open and I have no freaking clue how they're going to tie this in. Like how, to me, like how is Sam Wilson, Captain America, Hawkeye, Shang-Chi, and Loki all going to, you know, like by the end of the Infinity Saga, the fact that we were watching a movie that had a talking raccoon in it, uh, Thor, uh, Iron Man, Captain America, like all these disparate pieces that seem so far-fetched would come together and make complete sense. Yeah. Like it makes complete sense. Like there's there's no moment where I'm like, well, this uh, this is a talking tree talking to a 90, <laughs> yeah. 90-year-old, uh, you know, uh, Hydra assassin. Like it all made sense. This one, and, I, and Kevin Feige, I trust, but... We are entering a very exciting period. You know, mm. a lot. This, this is during the time when a lot of cinema people are saying, like, you know, this is all redundant and and uh, it's all cut and paste and it's all the same thing. But I'm telling you, this phase, you know, uh, I have had a very unique experience with every project that's come out of Phase Four. Like every single one has had a different feeling, mm. has had a different ambiance to it, a different environment, like. I've never felt like if there's one thing I don't like about phase one of the MCU is that they do, they do, that's one that felt cut and paste. Cause it was like origin, 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 origin Avengers, you know? And it was kind of like, okay, yeah, these, I think these it was are- a necessary evil though, wasn't it? The, the origin story, you know? Absolutely. But I'm saying like the current criticisms going on about the MCU, about how they're being like, you know, they're the same thing over and over again and things like that. Mm. Like I can see that maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. But now, now everything is so, I mean, and I, I forgot Eternals. Eternals is a whole different. Okay. Like and time that, travel, that, you know, they introduced time travel with the whole the Infinity War. Thing, Infinity War. Mm. So Quantum got, Realm. So there's nothing, there is nothing that you can say is beyond the scale. Yeah. There's I, nothing I th- at all. I, I think Kevin Feige mentioned something before about uh, he was thinking of maybe splitting it. Like he said, you have the roster, as Will pointed out, you have the more street-bound people, something that's on the lines of like a Falcon Winter Soldier, maybe Spider-Man is oh, kind of right. like the apex of that. But you have like, you yeah, know... Spider-Man would be apex street. Level. Yeah, but exactly. Spider-Man moves like yeah. a Superman. You know what I mean? Like Spider-Man's actual exactly. power like, set. I think Kevin like... Feige though alluded to something like he wanted to split the roster in half. Mm-hmm. And have some of them fight more celestial kind of enemies yeah. and others fight more earthbound. So like you probably might have a young Avengers in Earth and then you might have Sword or something and go and then you'll have like maybe have like the really overpowered people like Captain Marvel. They'll fight like Titans or whatever out in space and you'll have like the hierarchy of the top level villains like, like a Sinister Six 
would go against maybe like a Young Avengers yeah. or something along the lines of that. That's that's all fine and good, and I believe in that. However, before his revelation in Loki, we knew that Jonathan Majors was going to play Kang because mm. he was cast in Ant Man, Quantum Ant Man the Wasp, Quantumania. So that begs the question. So, because to me, like if you've noticed, the three characters I think I told you guys off the recording that are my favorite are more street level guys. I love yeah, Ant Man, Hawkeye, and Sam Wilson. So. How the hell is Ant-Man going to fight Kang? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, so far Ant-Man has, uh, you know, what, what, what really drew me to those movies is even though they're part of the universe, like I said, they were very isolated within like- They were insular. They were quite insular, yeah. And that's why Edgar Wright left the movie in the first place, you know, because he wanted to do his own thing. They wanted to have this kind of, it, it, it be a place of the Marvel universe. Because it, even though it is insular, it does, a very wide it has to be a building block the, or something the pin particle like the introduction to the pin particle into the mcu is has such huge it's after huge. effects and there's a lot of tension with him and shield and stark and stuff like that but what i like about those is yeah like ant-man is fighting first he's just fighting like essentially like an industry rival yeah. <laughs> like who wants to create his own ant-man suit and then uh, very with, some like Tony Stark. with some connections to the Ten Rings, by the way, mm -hmm. uh, if you know Ant-Man, there's a gentleman that's going to buy the um, the uh, cross stuff, cross tech that has um, oh, uh, the, the Ten Rings. The yellow ten jacket rings. suit. Yeah, the, the, the people that are going to buy that are indicated that it's the Ten Rings, which I think is interesting. Yeah. Nice little nod there. But... Um, but then in the second one, it's uh, it's you've got two villains, and one's not really a villain. It's one is a ghost. girl who, you know, kind of ghost who's kind of a victim of circumstance. You know, yeah, an anti-hero or yeah, something then, in the middle. The gray, she's in the gray, like a full villain. Yeah, yeah. and mm. then you've got some mafia guys. You know, like it's 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 very insular. So when I found out that Ant Man's going to be fighting Kang now, I'm like. But okay, the, but the quantum right, so that, realm, you open up the quantum realm, Kang can operate that, in any kind of that kind of, um, and, and I'm sure it'll make sense. Like I said, to me, Kevin Feige is 30 and 0 right now, he's undefeated, like yeah. he's he's done everything he can do. Yeah, uh, uh, I'm okay with him, even Age of Ultron, which I don't like. I, I, I think he's fine. Um, and they've hinted at they, 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 what Marvel's really good at, and this is why Iron Man 2, back to Iron Man 2, works really well, is seamless. They find ways to slowly build in how all these characters connect. Like um, in Loki, when uh, they go to, what was the realm called that they got sent to when they got, um, uh, I'm forgetting all my words today. You know, when they would get blasted by the little rod thing, they'd go to that like timeless zone in the middle of yeah, space. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember what it was called. Oh, so they but they met all the other Lokis and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, they have a, they have a scene in there a lot of fun little callbacks like they have the thanos copter from the comics in there and things like that but there's actually a moment uh when you're kind of in king's you know universe or whatever where you get pruned when you get pruned you go to that space there's actually a scene where they have an overhead shot um not only do you see a kang tower uh like that is tony stark's uh, the avengers place but it's kang yeah. but there's actually a giant yellow jacket uh, helmet um, that's just sitting around uh, like it's huge it's like the that's size of like man so it's it's like they put these little things in where you can be like oh yeah I can see how that fit. you know now yeah, I can see yeah, yeah. 
tenuous connection between Ant-Man and Kang. And back to Iron Man 2, they do stuff like that where like, you know, uh, Coulson will be like, here, use this. It's Captain America's shield, which doesn't make <laughs> It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. No. Continuity wise, but he's like, here, use Captain America's shield. And, you know, Tony will look but, at it and go, whatever. To me, and, that know, was a prototype. I think that might be a prototype for the shield. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's stuff like that where they, they, they've they thrown in little things to build the world. I think that's why Iron Man 2 is a success in mm -hmm. overall, because by the end of this movie, not only am I seeing Iron Man and War Machine work together, which at the time, you know, post Avengers were spoiled, you know? Yeah. Like, we're like, holy crap. Yeah, that was like, cool. Iron Man working together. Not only am I convinced that I can see multiple heroes on the screen work together, but I'm also seeing little, little building blocks built into um, how this universe, the universe shakes out. And like I said, I'm already, I'm already good with shield. They've thrown in little references at the end, like, for instance, um, they show clips from Incredible Hulk at the end. Thunderbolt Ross. Like, yeah, they they they, they throw uh, like, for instance, uh, when Tony is at the end when he's with Nick Fury and they're talking about the Avengers Initiative. Yeah. There's videos of uh, the Hulk uh, uh, university. Yeah. Yep. And then there's a map on the wall, and it says what, and it has a kind of dot on it, like, you know, a Google Earth dot or whatever. And it says Wakanda. It's, oh, it has a, I didn't spot that. I, I, I watched it like an hour ago and I didn't spot that. So. It, has a, it has a map of Africa and it very specifically says Wakanda. And there's like notices of it because they're starting to suspect stuff. Like you can, yeah. you can get the idea that Nick Fury is building this team. It's not just like, oh, and now Thor's here. You know, it's, it's yeah. more like, there is actual connections here that they're building. Yeah. Mm. And if anything, like, that's why I'm saying there would be no MC without Iron Man 2, because it's, it's, it's beginning that seamless transition yeah. of building that universe. Yeah. Because by, by the end of it, you have uh, Black Widow, you have War Machine, mm. you have uh, Captain uh, Thor's hammer, and you have Hulk. It being, Shield as well established. Yeah, and so yeah, you're absolutely right. This was, this like even sped up the process. You know, the first film was very slow. They had the end scene. He meets up with uh, Nick Fury. But in the second one, you're absolutely right. It was just like the Avengers initiative is about to happen, guys. We are just about yeah. to kick it off. So, yeah, it does. It does become a very important film. I think if you were to bullet point this film and say, oh, it's about, you know, evil scientists and, you know, you're going to have War Machine and blah, blah, blah. I think somebody go, oh, that sounds like a cool film. I just, I think the only thing I'm disappointed, I just didn't like the execution. You know, just the yep. ish factor. Like you said, it wasn't as tight as Iron Man 1, but there's a great deal of room between how great Iron Man was. You don't have to be that good, but it fell off. Yeah. Too, too many much. moving parts. Yeah. Now, Iron Man 1 is Tony gets kidnapped. Right, so pretty much we introduce Tony, shows us what his lifestyle is like. He gets kidnapped, he escapes from kidnap, he invents the Iron Man suit, he fights over the over the stay, and the movie's over. Yeah, and that's Iron Man one broke down to its bare minimum. And this is like, oh, uh, you you reintroduce Iron Man, you you have the Senate hearings, then you have the background with Ivan Vanko, then you have his relationship with Justin Hammer, then you have his relationship with Pepper Potts, you have his relationship with oh, James Roddy Rhodes. Like all these things add up to a lot of moving parts. And if you want to tell a seamless story, you're going to have to wrap them all up individually. Yeah. And sometimes they some the Truey's drinking problem in there. Kind yeah, of. kind of like yeah. Uh, that was kind of wedged in. <laughs> I think that the um, uh, poor critical reaction to this film did end up having some things excised 
Uh, like I, I for one, I know that he does come back in a very small cameo in uh, All Hail to the King, which is that uh, one shot short film with Ben Kingsley. Have any of you guys seen that? Yeah, it's on. Yeah, it's it's kind of like the what happened to the Mandarin, you know, when he was in prison. That was Marvin's uh, apology, really, though, wasn't it? Sorry, yeah, guys. Exactly. We're sorry, guys. Yeah, but so so Hammer does show up in that, like he's in prison with the Mandarin, with uh, with uh, you know uh, Ben Kingsley. Yeah. But uh, Trevor like, Slattery. I think, I think that he Trevor Slattery. Like, I think he I think he ended up being a casualty of the critical response because they were like, okay, maybe it was too much. We don't want to bring Hammer back because. I yeah, because even when he was getting arrested, he was like he was given one of those almost like Shredder with the turtles in the eighties cartoon. I'll be back. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to be in another film. <laughs> I would have preferred they, Hammer to come back instead of Guy Pierce's character in Iron Man Three, and then we could have closed the loop. I, I like, you know, that, Magneto was in all of the X Men films, and it kind of annoyed me. Uh, you know, there was such a deep roster of bad guys. Yeah. So there is, you can't, I don't like it. With, Hashtag Mephisto. Yeah. So, yeah so <laughs> just, like, just leave it fuck alone. You know, mm. although they fucked up Apocalypse and stuff. So, well, I think we got blessed though with Magneto because it got cast by two world class actors. Absolutely. Like Ian McKell, no arguments. Well, Ian McKelly and no Michael Fassbender. There. No arguments. There, which is okay. crazy. Michael Fassbender makes so much shit. But, um, but uh, back to uh, Iron Man 2 seamless transition pa 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 <laughs> but um uh, what did you make of uh, i'll throw it to you Noel, and then i'll give it to will but what did you make of mickey rourke uh coming in and um, as i like to say to you will he's peak mickey rourke in this and um uh what did you make of his casting as ivan venko he was kind of on the rise at that stage we had the wrestler he had the oscar buzz sin city yeah, yeah. all this that kind of jazz. second act mm. Um, I, 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 I'd like to some, maybe get some Russians to play some Russians. Or yeah. You know? <laughs> hire a Russian dude. Yeah, just hire a Russian dude. I mean, they had Ray Winston play a Russian. That's unforgivable. <laughs> he had such a Cockney accent. <laughs> he was like trying... <clears throat> but I like um, I like Whiplash as a character, and I was glad, you know... Uh, sorry, what's the actor's name? Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. I was, Mickey Rourke. Yeah, I was glad. I, I remember being happy that he got it. I just thought his character was... He was so tropey. That I, there was nothing about him I really liked, but I don't think that was Mickey Rourke's fault. I went to my I, you book. know, you can only work with the script that you have. Yeah. Um, I just thought he was blasé. His death meant nothing to me. He's because he didn't develop him right. Remember, just didn't develop him right. That's what so I, again, earlier, I, yeah. I think he's a victim of the film as mm. opposed to being what was wrong with it. You know, like a really very flat actor or something like. He's that, a very compelling know? character to me. I think. I uh, think uh, so. Like you were saying, this was kind of the second act for Mickey Rourke. He had done a number of films that had i'm not sure the chronology off the top of my head i don't have one of vinnie's uh mickey <laughs> cheat sheets in front of me uh, well you mocked my cheat sheets out of existence man yeah. <laughs> i remember i remember you know there was you know with sin city with domino with the wrestler yeah you know he started to kind of make this comeback where it was like okay mickey work is remember he is a good actor you know mm. like they they, they had him in these very interesting roles and they they kind of played up his kind of it was kind of this perfect mix of his celebrity with the character like you know in the wrestler and uh, even in like uh, domino like the, it's always kind of these guys that have been through it had a lot of success have fallen and are trying to claw back into it you Very know? like robert downey jr himself yeah like robert yeah. downey jr is himself although robert downey jr yeah. was, it turned out to be seamless you know, he just arrived with Iron Man, yeah. you know? Well, because he's playing himself in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, like, you know it, what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. an exaggerated version and, of himself. And I, and I think that 
it got to the point where he was kind of not maybe not a celebrity on the level of an RDJ or something, but it got to the point where he was back to you're an actor. You're no longer an actor for hire. You're an actor who gets to make choices. Mm, yes. And I, I know it's not like like, for instance, another great example would be like somebody like uh, like Russell Crowe or something. OK, mm, Russell Crowe started doing his career. He was hired because of his intensity and stuff, but he still he still was subject to the stuff that was offered to him, like, yeah. you know, virtuosity or something, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a good year. Eventually he got to the point where he was such a, he became such a renowned actor and a powerful person that he could pick his own projects. And that, and for, for better or worse, that led to his career. Mickey Rourke was at that stage again, I think, where it was kind of like, we're not getting Mickey Rourke just because of name value. Like he's actually an actor, he's gonna give us options. You know, he's going to make choices. Yeah. I think they let him have free reign on this one because they're like, well, this is Mickey Rourke. He's an Oscar nominee. He's back, yeah. you know? Yeah. And he made some choices <laughs> that that I think, like you said, it's about the script, but I also think that there was a lot of him going, well, I'm Mickey Rourke now. I'm going to make this decision. It's like, how you interpret I'm, the script. I'm going to have a bird. You know, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. I want my bird. And I think <laughs> that uh, that, you know, I think Whiplash is an interesting, he's definitely a phase one villain because- 100%. 100%. He doesn't feel like too, like, I don't feel like, it's almost hard for me to believe that the universe that has Thanos has Whiplash in it. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. He's part of the universe, but he, he does feel like this bizarre, offshoot idea that they were like, okay, we're not going to do something like this again. You know what yeah. I mean? It, just, it, it feels very, um, it, it just, I don't know how to explain. It. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but it, it just feels very peculiar. And, inconsequential. And, and I, he was inconsequential. inconsequential. Yep. And I also feel that Mickey Rourke is not. He's like mid, mid season filler. Yeah. 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 And I also don't think that he's in the same movie as some of the other people sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually, I think I one, agree. One thing I liked about Iron Man 2 was probably the last time Marvel had a bit of edge to them in a lot of ways. I know, now, don't get me wrong, Black Widow's backstory is fucking traumatic as fuck. Yeah. It's, one of, it's one of the darkest aspects of the whole Red Room, her forced hysterectomy, all these things, forced sterilization. Like, that's dark as fuck. But I just think, like, outside of a lot of that, we don't really get a lot of edgy stuff from Marvel. But this, you had, like, Mickey Rourke, like, blowing dudes up breaking guys necks hanging guys from ceilings yeah you know what i mean i just say you know when black widow goes into yeah she thinks she has him and she goes into the room and there's just two guys hanging from the ceiling yeah it's quite dark by marvel stuff you know what i mean yeah, though like so yeah. i just think he he was even though he is really when you look at the bag and bones of the mcu and what it's developed as he's a very inconsequential character especially since he died he's a one one off and one and done yeah. or whatever but if you look at the tone of the character, and I think if you tone down other aspects and really concentrate on him as a villain, he's much darker than Nobody Stain and how he went about his methods, blowing people up, killing people, escaping from prison, dealing with Justin Hammer, double crossing even the villain. Because they built it like Justin Hammer was going to be the major villain of the piece. But in the, in the end, it was Ivan Venko outsmarted everybody, even outsmarted Tony because he used his own hubris against him. Because Tony's like, I'm going to give this information to a man because he's a dead man. He might as well be dead. He's going to be locked up. 
in prison forever and he pretty much gave him the keys to upgrading his own technology and actually making him a real threat because he was never a real threat yeah. on the racetrack yeah. he was just a nuisance it's like you lose Stark you lose because I made you bleed if you make a god bleed that's, he was only there to do a show yeah. he never knew he never thought he was going to win yeah. but Tony gave him the uh, chance of actually defeating him in the climax because he gave him the keys to the kingdom in a lot of ways by telling him about upcycling his rotations or whatever the fuck like and I just think that he even though he ends up being inconsequential I think he was actually had a lot of potential as a character and Mickey Rourke was in his heyday his second heyday if you want to say because I know the early 90s late 80s was kind of like more of his heyday in a lot of ways but I think if you look at the character and the actor they attached to the role, they, they could have done a lot more, and especially with Sam Rockwell, they could have used him as a better foil, I think, and playing him off him and having that soldier villain and the cerebral villain, you know, you could have done yeah. that kind of way. They, the MCU had some growing pains, obviously, mm. in terms of building the universe. They of thankfully avoided the what I call the Darth Maul problem, mm. um, which is, you know, and there's a lot of things wrong with the prequels of Star Wars, but I think the first major mistake episode one made was killing off Darth Maul. In the first one. <laughs> <laughs> because it um, created this gap where each, like, because in the original Star Wars, you got Vader through all three. The root of uh, two. Yeah. That really yeah, screws for- them over. So when you killed Darth Maul, you're like, that's a great ending for Obi-Wan, but it created this vacuum where every movie was trying to make up for the Darth Maul factor by having like a Count Dooku or General Grievous or something. And they never could make up that ground. I think MCU had that problem in the beginning, but what happened was, is a couple of things happened. Um, Like a couple of things happened where they went, oh crap, we really messed up. Like Mickey work, perhaps you know inconsequential in the end yeah the mandarin Cap- was infuriating yeah yeah well yeah My but uh, the, i like the mandarin but the met up yeah. though no he means like the trevor oh, slattery ben kingsley iron man three mandarin no a lot like tony lung um he's an amazing like uh, the new iteration yeah, of the mandarin awesome he was awesome i'm just talking about that like the, i like the shane black twist iron man three but that's a story for another day god damn but, you william <laughs> <laughs> It's like a couple of things accidentally fell into their lap uh, because, like I said, you can throw away uh, Jeff Bridges. You can throw away Mickey work, perhaps, um, you know, Incredible Hulk, you know, whatever abomination you can throw them away. Tim Roth. Yeah. What was this? First, they had Loki and Thor uh, and they were like, OK, wait a minute. This is there's a benefit to keeping this character alive because you knew he was going to be alive. You can develop him. And, and then I think that they got an exceptional, and this is why you should have me on this episode and you not, you bastards. <laughs> Red Skull is such a success yeah. in Captain America and when they kill him, I mean, kill him, yeah. they bring him back eventually, but when they kill him, they were kind of like, oh, crap. Like, think about all the movies we could have had with Red Skull going up, going up yeah. against Captain America. And I think they went, okay, we cannot make this mistake again. So you'll start noticing. There'll be a couple of them, like Guardians of the Galaxy introduces mm. Ronan, kind of dispatch him in a yellow jacket, whatever, and Ant-Man. But they start adding more complex um, uh, problems to the characters that go beyond just villainy. You know, yeah, Like Killmonger. Uh, like Killmonger, Winter Soldier. Yeah. Winter Soldier becomes a tipping point for the whole universe mm. and then they realize like you can't have like if they did captain america this is where they could have made a mistake if they did captain america the winter soldier and they kill off winter soldier at the end 
I think the universe would be would go into a spiral because you're starting to lose that complexity of character, that complexity of villain. You'll start noticing that shades all the of villains, gray. It becomes too black yeah, and white. Right. A lot of the villains end up having more connections to the heroes. They end up living more. I, I know they. I know that in the end, like you know, most of them are dead. But <laughs> I think that the fact that they live for multiple movies or uh, spur on a change like Killmonger I think had to die in Black Panther for his for his character arc to be yeah, effective yeah, yeah but his his death is so impactful on the main character that it will influence his actions going forward exactly so he's left his stamp he's definitely left his stamp do you, do you think yeah. do you think the reason yeah. we didn't get to see a Red Skull reappearing in the sequence is because it's well known that the actor who played Red Skull in Captain America First Avenger, Avenger, Avenger uh, Hugh, Hugo Weaving from Lord of the Rings, Matrix, all this, he said he hated playing the role, he hated the, prosthet the prosthesis that made the mask, he didn't want to come back. And do you think that's a case of, we don't know who we're going to recast this until Ross Marquand from The Walking Dead comes along, who's an expert impressionist, uh, impressionist, impressionist, impressionist? Impressionist? Impressionist. Impressionist. Nailed it. <laughs> but um, an, an expert impressionist, and he comes along, and they are able to recast the role much longer. You can reincorporate Red Skull and Volmir. Is it Vormir? Vormir? Volmir. Vormir. Yep. Uh, but you can reincorporate him later on. I think it's just happenstance that you got a Ross Marquand later on down on the along the road that he's able to recreate this kind of voice or whatever. And the reason we didn't get Red Skull is kind of taken out of Marvel's hands is because he just had an unwilling actor in Hugo Weaving. I, I don't think that's a problem. I don't think that would be a problem for, uh, first of all, because you have the prosthetics, which mm. can mask that a little bit. Um, but also, if there's anything phase one is known for, it's that within the first three movies, they had major we casting changes. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, just Iron Man 2 alone, we got Don Cheadle replacing Terrence Howard. Um, you know, Edward Norton only, being replaced as the Hulk. Edward Norton was Marco eventually a few years later. So I don't think that would have been a problem. I think that they wrote themselves in a hole because they wanted to... I mean, in the comics, Red Skull is still alive somehow through all this shit. I mean, even though he's the a serum. World War II villain. Yeah. So, yeah. Serum is good enough answer for me. Someone says, how is he yeah. still alive? Super Serum. I, I think that they decided to just take that one on the chin and go, okay, we killed him off. We probably shouldn't have done that, but... Bring Bucky let's back. Get, let's bring Bucky back. Let's, let's have that be an ongoing story. Yeah. Uh, like let's keep winter soldier as this ongoing issue for captain america throughout all his movies and all his arcs and that'll keep the the stuff alive because um in very phase one tradition you know i love i love the first avenger i think it's a marvelous film mm. it is origin story and in regards to the entire universe you know winter soldier on is kind of where we get the captain america that we all know and love yeah you know just getting the introduction to him in the first one. In the end, First Avenger doesn't play a whole lot into the universe. It plays a lot into Captain America. So yeah, it tells us a lot about his motives and his, or his motivations as a character and what shapes right. him. You know, the world that he came from and the way he views. Like when you go to Winter Soldier, when he's Nick Fury brings him uh, below and he shows him the secret base. And he's talking about like, you know, the world he came from was good versus evil. Now you're operating in this kind of weird, shadowy yeah. realm. And like, what did he say uh, back where I came from? A person had to commit the crime before they got punished or something like that or something along those yeah. lines. And like nowadays, it's like you're trying to actually like figure out what the crime may be before it's even committed. So you can actually avert the Proactive, crime. Proactive, not really. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Minority Report, yeah. 
Yeah, it's, and, and, and he says, I think in Winter Soldier, he says, this isn't, I don't know the exact line, but I think he says something like, this isn't protection, this is fear. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is this is your yeah. fear projected onto, yeah. you know, um, and uh, of course that ends up playing away against them. Uh, you know, they have to solve that whole problem because Captain America is always right. Hashtag and, Hydra. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's, um, so I think they learned to, to go back to it. I think, I think a lot of the stuff that happened in phase one it's almost, I, I hate to, you know, go on DC about this, but it feels like, um, actually, let me let me do a different comparison. I don't want to do a DC comparison, so that's not fair. Um, it is fair, but I, I don't want to rile anybody up. But does anyone, did anyone play um, Mass Effect? Yes, I'll yes. read them. Amazing. Okay. All right. The first Mass Effect game, brilliant game. Okay. Yeah. It had some technical issues, you know. Uh, I, I think the the uh, what was that thing called on the planet? The the Mako, you know, was a pain in the ass, yeah. and some of the shoot mechanics were off and stuff like that. And there was some dialogue options that were a little weird. And, and the, it, it seemed it seemed like you know there was only like a set amount of things you could do with the dialogue. Like you could either be kind of a dick to this person or really nice to them, or you could fall in love with them or not. They the second Mass Effect yeah. took every problem that the first one had and fixed it but still kept the core of what mass effect is like yeah. mass effect 2 is like a perfect game because it takes everything i love about the first one and either improves it or, yeah. and or fixes issues they have with the second because for me mass effect 2 is flawless like yeah. it's a flawless game i think the mcu followed the same template they looked at their first phase which is fun and has a lot of heart to it. Freshman maybe not. year. Yeah. And they said, let's fix this. Let's take the best parts of Iron Man 2 and fuse it into the MCU. Let's take the parts that maybe don't work and take those out and we'll get a better product. And I think that that's why every phase gets it gets better and better because they're learning their lessons. Yes. You're learning on the job. You're yeah. learning on the job. Yeah, they're fixing those mistakes. Like they're not, they're not, this is why I always defend the MCU as art because they want to tell a good story first outside yeah. of making money. Like yeah. I honestly think that Kevin Feige is an artist. I don't think he's he's like, oh yeah, I want to be number one at the box office every week. Yeah, I think yeah. he wants a good story. And I think he has taken that lesson and has tried to improve on every single thing that has gone wrong. Any complaints, they're fixed. It's not like... It isn't like, God, I keep going back to Star Wars, but like, you know, episode one, everyone hears about how bad Jar Jar is. So, <laughs> Misa thinks he's a good character. <laughs> Instead of trying to maybe fix the character to fit the plot better or have some dimension to the character or whatever, yeah. George Lucas is just like, all right, I'll just take him out of episode two completely. Yeah. You know, and it's like, well, that cool. motherfucker, didn't he become a senator or something? Yeah, he, he fell upwards yeah. like a motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> a main character of episode one. Episode two, he becomes a complete eight-minute side character. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, is Marvel takes, it does a different approach. They say, hey, maybe this aspect of Tony isn't working, or maybe this aspect of the Hulk isn't working, or Thor. Mm. I mean, Thor is a good one because Thor has gone through a complete makeover makeover because in the first one kenneth Branagh insisted that he have like you know uh, like <laughs> uh and he's a little bit too self-serious you yeah. know like the, 
the humor more came out of the fish out of water aspect of yeah, the movie. Yeah, Shakespearean yeah. kind of elements to it, wasn't it? Like, as opposed to his inherent humor, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's a Chris Hemsworth thing. They, they thought, hey, what, what, what can we get out of Chris Hemsworth here? If you told me in the first Thor movie that Chris Hemsworth would actually be one of the funniest actors I've ever seen, yeah. never would have got that without some introspection on what to do. Maximize the talents yeah. that you have. I think some people see Chris Hemsworth like, oh, he's really good looking and muscular, so he's got no chops. Yeah, but he's no. got a shit ton of chops. That's the no, thing. He's a, like, he's so funny. Yeah. Like, we are the Millers, or is it not? We are the Millers. Uh, the uh, the vacation. Do you know that? Uh, the, like, when he's he's in that, he's in the uh, the Ghostbusters one, the remake with uh, Melissa McCarthy. And she said when he was on set, when they met him first, uh, and he started pulling jokes, he's been hilarious. And she was like, "That's not fair. You can't be that funny." He's like, yeah, "That's we're supposed to be the funny yeah. ones." Like, and yeah. like, yeah, and I just think Chris Hemsworth's the perfect example. It's kind of like on a TV series where you see an actor develop into the role over time because the MCU is so large and so expansive. It's it's quite like a TV series in a lot of ways, yeah. and like if he's Chris Hemsworth keeps coming back first you have him in Thor you have him in Avengers Thor Dark World and he comes back and, and more and more they see with him as the role they go they actually let more of Chris Hemsworth bleed into the Thor character uh, instead of before it was just let's shape Chris Hemsworth into a Thor character now it's more like let Chris Hemsworth become one with the Thor character in the same way that Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr are uh, like so uh, close to one another in terms of like how they are in the real world and in the MCU that Chris Hemsworth if you look at his interviews or you see his interactions that he's actually a very light hearted funny dude and you see that in Thor's character the more it goes on because I think the people at Marvel and people at Disney got to know Chris Hemsworth throughout these movies and make these films and like maximize your talent it's like exactly well, maximize because we always talk about waste of resources is so annoying like yeah this is what drives me nuts about the discourse about marvel because um and even ethan hawk who i really love oh my god it's I've ethan met, hawk oh my god it's <laughs> ethan hawk <laughs> i've met ethan hawk he's i mean he's actually a genuinely nice person awesome actor like, to hear world-class actor like yeah, right? and a, yeah. And a great actor great but even actor. Even he, he said on occasion, which is kind of ironic now because he's in a Marvel project now, but, you know, at, at one point he was kind of saying like, well, Marvel is kind of like the Westerns. People just do it for the money kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the arguments that drives me nuts because they'll be like, oh, uh, you know, Marvel got Chloe Zhao, so she just wanted that money, you know, like, or these actors sign up because they just need that money. Like, yeah. I don't think people give the MCU the benefit of the doubt that Kevin Feige and company, they give these, they give these actors the ability to make those characters their own. They give them the ability to let them act. They're not filling in a costume just to, like a perfect example of this. And I, and I recently, I wasn't, I never knew about this till I saw the documentary, but have either of you guys seen the Val Kilmer documentary? No, not yet. No, no, I have been. Uh, here's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it just called Val or something, I think, isn't it? Val, yes, it's called Val. I saw it in the theater and it, it's, it's a very heartbreaking movie. Mm. But, um, this is uh i don't think i don't think this is a bad movie by any means you might disagree with me but batman like for, for instance, batman forever is filming batman forever <laughs> um he was very frustrated as an actor mm. because they and this has been a problem with me for batman movies forever is that all they wanted for batman was like a pretty face and a name some to of the film yeah. the suit that's it yeah that's it, because they gave all the character beats to the villains. Like Val Kilmer was sitting there like, hey man, I, I it was my dream to play Batman. I, yeah. I wanted to be Batman. Who wouldn't want to be yeah, Batman? Yeah, who wouldn't want to be, he's right. 
they, they literally had me standing there posing and I was miserable. Like he talks about how it was the most debilitating acting experience of his life because oh. he had no say on the character. He had, all he was doing was literally flexing and posing per the director's orders. Meanwhile, you got Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey and Jim Nicole Carrey Kid- was just let loose. On yeah, that set. same with Tommy Lee Jones, loose. chewing up the scenery. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole Kidman's doing this weird, sexy thing. Oh, like Thurman? Is she in that one? No, she's Batman and Robin, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's another example. George Clooney is like, I'm just George Clooney. Whereas, you know, so I think this discourse that like these great actors join the MCU for the money, like, uh, you know, I, I, I think about the making of the first Iron Man. There's yes. a, a fantastic behind the scenes documentary on that. And in it, they show John Favreau jeff bridges and robert downey jr and it's not it's not like set up for the cameras or anything they're actually reading the script together going over the character motivations and saying like do you think i should do this or like maybe i'll walk over here maybe i'll look over at this over here you know so it looks like maybe i'm reflecting on something we like a conversation we had off screen off script to ourselves as characters you know what i mean they're actually investing their time energy and they get a say on their characters yeah. I have never felt like, and the reason why I've always been okay with the MCU and I love it, so I've never felt uh, unlike maybe like a DC film where I feel like everybody's posed perfectly or early Marvel films like Fantastic Four, it was more about the money shot. Like, how can we get the thing to do his thing thing? Yeah. You know? yeah. Like Hulk smash. Yeah, and Clobberton. Yeah, exactly. This has always said fe- toys. This has always felt like an artistic solution for these actors. Yes, you might have somebody like a Hugo Weaving who is like, this sucks. I did not like this experience. You might have an Edgar Wright who's like, I don't like this format of how they want to tell stories. That's totally fine. I get that. Not everyone's going to have, there's there's such a thing as creative differences that are purely creative differences. It's not like, it's not like, uh, uh, you know, Edgar Wright was like, well, Marvel is this evil corporation that's denying my artistic rights. They just have different idea of how to tell a story and we got baby driver over so we all win yeah exactly exactly and and that's what i think uh i don't remember her name there was kind of a like scarlett johansson was a producer on black widow she's very she owns that character very much so like it's very much her character like they let her drive where that character goes okay yeah when she was trying to get directors for black widow she was she was going into the indie scene and uh she was getting a lot of unknown or very small known indie directors to well, compare to the marvel directors these well, a lot of them are tv like guys stratosphere so. directors well a lot of the marvel guys are tv directors you know joss whedon the russo brothers andy taylor yeah but they've done huge projects or maybe they started their huge projects but still sorry well, go ahead. but this is this is what drove me nuts because this is this is uh, i can't remember the name of the director she directed a lot of indie films uh <laughs> well, yeah they, they, she said something to the to the degree of, well, they uh, Marvel Studios assured me that if I took care of the character beats, they'd take care of the action for me. And so all the cinema purists went nuts with that. Like, oh well, the directors really don't direct these movies. It's all the, the it's all the uh, assistant directors and fight choreographers and cinematographers and the yeah, yeah. that's really what they're there for. And I thought that was ridiculous because a I thought the the quote you know she she might not understand how a studio system works. I always go to Lord of the Rings, right? If anyone's watched 
the Lord of the Rings documentaries. Of course. Um, there's no doubt that that movie is Peter Jackson's vision, right? Can you guys agree with that? Of course, yeah, absolutely. Okay. There were literally like nine additional directors on that in nine different units directing different things under his guidance. But there are literally entire pockets of that movie that were directed by a different person. Okay. That And so like, because you couldn't film nine different locations at once with one director. Yeah. So he, Time he would, constraints he would, as well, like, you know, yeah, they have. Yeah. He would trust his assistant it would take 15 years to make or something like yeah. that. Yeah. He would trust he would trust his assistant director mm. to say i need you to film this coverage and hopefully you can you know what i want so do this it's it's no different on these studio pictures like yeah do i think the russos are in the computer room you know putting together all the action sequences and but people forget there's pre-visualization that the stuntmen have to do because they have to get ready to do this like they have to do it on their own to see what's physically possible yeah. PGI artists have to prepare their computers to make sure they can handle the processing speed. There's this whole idea out there that it the takes a village is an expression, isn't it? It takes a village. There's this theory out there that it the directors have no vision. It's all the studio. It's this big conglomerate, this corporation. And I think when you see somebody like back to Iron Man two, you see like a Mickey Rourke, a, a, a Robert Downey Jr., or even Iron Man one, the Jeff Bridges, Chris Hemsworth. We were talking about in the future films. Yeah. They give so much character. They allow the actors to give so much of themselves into these roles. That to me is what acting is. That's yeah. that's pure. That's yeah, that's, that's a director that. working with an actor and an actor work, working with a director. I mean, yeah, you should have that pure that collaboration. Be, exactly. Yeah. And so what you're doing reading the script? Like, like, and do you know just to kind of round up the Iron Man two talk before we jump uh, go for a break and shit like that? Um, what what did you think? Like one of the major things about Iron Man 2 we already spoke about the implications that I had in the MCU the, the casting roles and what the, the characters the decisions all these things but like the major one of the major things something we touched upon in the Bengali episode we talked a little bit about it I think in the Incredible Hulk episode the recasting of uh, James Rody Rhodes from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle I know we touched on it a little bit earlier but uh, Noel uh, what do you think you like looking back on it now You've seen only Terrence Howard in one movie. You've got to see him in Iron Man 1. You've got to see Don Cheadle in multiple appearances as James Rodney Rhodes, War Machine, Iron Patriot, all these different kind of iterations of the character. What do you think of Don Cheadle? What do you think he's done with the character? Do you think it was a good casting uh, change up or whatever? And would you have liked to see Terrence Howard progress more in the role and all that jazz? I, I want to go for it. Yeah, I would like to see Terrence Howard. That guy just has so much charisma. I think Don Cheadle is a great actor, but just just how very is. different yeah he's just Sorry, I, very different i just liked him for the role you know that way uh, i think don Cheadle did a great job but if you were to, and i think he was a great casting because obviously the one actor that it wasn't going to be was terence howard like if you remove terence howard from the equation i'm like sure don Cheadle, that'll do nicely but no i would have loved to see howard in it and i often think of it um i think he shot himself in the foot maybe you know um but yeah no i i, I thought I thought Don Cheadle did a good job, but I, I, it's not like I couldn't imagine anybody else being War Machine. Like, I could, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man are the three that I just couldn't imagine anybody else in the world mm. playing them except Chris Hemsworth, Evans, and Robert Downey Jr. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that degree of love for War Machine. Um, I, I think Scarlett Hansen would be extremely oh, he's hard such a pivotal replace. character in Iron Man's arc, yeah. you know? Uh, so I don't I mean, think he was... 
I don't think he, I don't look and he had years and years in it and I, I still don't think he's completely and totally irreplaceable yeah. I, I just don't I have it was funny we had this conversation uh, on um, the Incredible Hulk episode about Ruffalo versus uh, Norton mm. um, I think that it's weird because and this is not just because I'm an MCU guy I prefer Cheadle over Howard and I prefer Ruffalo over Norton as actors in general. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't like the other two. Same, yeah. I'm on the other just, side of the fence, but I do agree with that. I, yeah, I, I just think that, I think they made the upgrades necessary in both of those cases. Um, it is a little bit like, Don Cheadle, I think the problem is, is that, I don't, I don't know how to explain this, but, I don't think War Machine was um, fleshed out enough in the first one yes. to when you have a casting change, even though you have that suspension of disbelief, you're still kind of getting to know the character. So it's a little off-putting. And I don't think Don Cheadle has ever recovered from that. And that's mm. like a writing thing. I think he's perfect for the role. And I think once you get a good writer under him, like uh, Shane Black, I think he's maximum. Iron Man 3, I think think that's when War Machine kind of became the persona we're familiar with. And, you know, he's obviously kind of a little bit more comic relief, you know, in some of the, some of the later films, Um, you know, Joss Whedon kind of made him comic relief and he has some great lines in Endgame, but he doesn't. Yeah, he does get some lines finally. I remember thinking, even when he was saying them, it was like, yeah, it's nice to draw them a moment. He was brilliant in Ant-Man, I thought. That was, I thought was one of his funniest moments when Ant-Man's fighting him. I think regardless of... Um, no, it was Falcon, was it? Yeah. Yeah. It was Falcon, yeah. Well, yeah, Falcon in the first... Falcon, Falcon, yeah. Yeah, my bad. First time, man, it was Falcon, yeah. Uh, the, uh, I, I think that his character has always been a little bit thin. I don't think it's either actor's fault. That's um, it. I've said that you can only work with the script you have. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter how phenomenal... Well, it does matter how phenomenal you are. Obviously, a great actor is a great actor. Yeah. But, like... You know, if you have the Godfather script, then great. And if you don't, and if you have Flubber, well, then it's a different story. Flubber's There's a fucking masterpiece. So you watch your mouth. It's not his, it's not his watch fault. Watch your mouth. Oh, well, Flubber favorite soul. Flubber's a masterpiece. Yeah, I don't know. I, I went for Flubber for the sake of it. Yeah, you, you went for a world-class movie. It was a poor choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we talked about this Incredible Hulk. I, I, won't, I won't go too much back into that because you can see that episode for that. But um, I, I like I like Ruffalo as the Hulk because I think he does inner torture yeah. And I can sympathize with him a lot easier than I can with an Edward Norton. So, okay. um, yeah. War Machine, I, I think that both would have been fine to go through the entire saga. Like Terrence Howard, I would have had no problem going through the entire saga. Mm. Don Cheadle, I think, has a better relationship with RDJ in terms of uh, comfort level and flow. And I think that um, the only problem is, is that they just never knew what to do with War Machine uh, overall because, you know, they in Endgame, you know, in Tony's death scene, they they try to play out the Iron Man arc, you know, by giving each major Iron Man character from that trilogy a moment. And, you know, the first, you know, War Machine, you know, touches Iron Man's head and says, you know, Tony, you know, and and then Pepper Potts and and Pepper Potts comes in and 
Spider-Man comes in and you, you kind of see all the characters that were important to his life. Mm. And regardless of how great Cheadle or even Howard would have been, I think because they kind of dropped the ball a little bit on War Machine, like that moment does not have the emotional impact it should. No, no, it didn't for I, me either. I, I think, in my opinion, that Terrence Howard shared far more chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. in one movie than Don Cheadle has done in all the following movies. Yeah. I think they just seemed more natural. I just think they seemed like, like to me, Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. seem like two actors pretending to be friends. But Terrence Howard and Robert Downey Jr. just seemed, seemed like, like friends. friends. Yeah. You know, and I just think that's, for me, there was just a slight more natural. Two naturally charismatic men. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I just don't know if Don Cheadle, just, I don't know if he has, yeah. he, he can deliver a great line. He's, he's a lot great more in, dry, a lot more stoic. Yeah. There's something, yeah. a lot more withdrawn or something. He's like, he's like with like a stiff upper lip, uh, clinched jaw kind of thing, where Terrence Howard is kind of like, I'm uh, I'm like I I work hard during work, but I party hard during party time, and that's kind of the character he was. Like he's always like I work hard, I play hard, and like and that's always what Tony Stark was. I work hard and I play hard. Like, I might be a playboy billionaire philanthropist all this shit, but yeah, I did just make forty two Ironman suits. Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. Like yeah. so, and like I just don't see that in Don Cheadle. I don't I don't see the fact. I don't, he just seems like a guy that works hard and goes home, um, probably like makes woodworking tools or some shit. I don't fucking know. Yeah, yeah. But he just seems like the most boring mother fucker ever whereas Terrence Howard to me just seemed like he he just really embodied what it would take to actually live amongst the Tony Stark in yeah. the real world you know he had that that he kind was of, more of an army man you know what I mean he just yeah exactly the, yeah more of a career army dude career whereas army man Terrence man. Howard is kind of like I could have been Tony Stark but I'd like the Tony Stark that went to work for the government yeah you know that kind of way are either of you guys Star Trek fans at all oh yeah I do remember you starting a Star Trek uh, series for me when we were writing a 25YL that you did not finish, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, I, I think I think uh, War Machine kind of goes through a Worf problem. Yeah. Anyone knows Worf from The Next Generation? Of course. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, we're talking about Worf was... A super complex character. Uh, the, the, he was kind of an accidentally complex character. They, they ended up being able to write some of the greatest episodes with him because, you know, not only did the actor have a great handle of the character, but just the inherent qualities of that character, um, you know, made for good storytelling. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the Klingon race are just so interesting, though. Like, yeah, I don't. I'm not like. I know I'm not a big in-depth Star Trek guy, but what I've seen, the Klingon race to me is fucking fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But as the series progressed, TNG, uh, and they got back to it a little bit on DS9, like they got back to the serious war factor, but you you would notice, and this happens a lot with TV shows, is they started to trim the edges a little bit and get him into like the basic Worf problem. You know, like where it'd be like, instead of having dimension, it was kind of like, well, Worf is the loyalty guy, the honor guy, and he cracks a good joke, good ironic joke. Mm. to the point where like by the time you got to like star trek nemesis and insurrection those movies he is literally just there to spout one-liners and be the butt of the jokes i mean you're the man i would kill you where you stand and shit like it, that it, it yeah. kind of became like the ron, the ron, the ron simmons of that star was, trek that was the last to me other than deep space nine there's some good moments but that to me is the last great worf moment is that if you were any other man like that scene still gives me chills yeah. to this day I, the this far and no further scene from John Luke Picard gives me fucking chills. Yeah, but then Insurrection comes and they're making fun of him because he's got pimples, and you know Nemesis comes and he's literally just making one-liners. D- Deep Space Nine, they kind of like half go jokey with him, half go way yeah. over dramatic with him. 
I think War Machine suffers the same problem because I do agree that they fleshed him out a lot better in the first Iron Man. Mm. But what they started to do was what, which was which just what they do not do with a lot of the other heroes is War Machine kind of became, oh, Don Gio can crack a funny joke. And War Machine's kind of a posing hero. Yeah. yeah. Like he has like really cool poses and stuff. Mm. And don't get me wrong, like in Civil War, Endgame, Infinity War, all these things, like Don Cheadle cracks me up. He has some of the best lines. Mm. But like I said, by the time you get to Endgame and you get to that final scene between War Machine and Iron Man, it just, it doesn't have the emotional weight that I think they wanted to. Yeah. And that's because I think that they got Cheadle for what he's good at. And I think, I think he's a better actor than Howard overall. He's just a different actor. Yeah. Yeah. But so they, different. They, they sanded off the edges took a little bit of the complexity away, played to Cheadle's like natural charisma strengths of like having good one-liners and delivery and yeah. stuff like that. Kind of draw your wit. Yeah. yeah, draw your wit. Draw your wit's a good way to watch. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and they just kept, because when you think about it, it starts in this movie, mm. Iron Man 2. When you think about it, there should be a lot of inherently, uh, there should be a lot of inherent problems between Tony and Rhodey over the paths that Rhodey takes. Yeah. You know, because for instance, like in Iron Man 2, he kind of takes the hammer side. You know, he's like, I'm the military. Uh, we're going to go with hammer. Like you yeah. would think that was an inherent problem. Iron Man 3, he takes the Iron Man war machine suit, becomes the Iron Patriot, and is basically doing missions for like the president. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's that's Tony choosing lesser of two evils. He's like, my technology is eventually going to get out there. And if anyone's going to take it, it will be the American government because yeah. like the Americans, you're persistent motherfuckers. All right. So, and you're really good at getting your hands on weaponry, you know? Yeah. So like, he was probably like, who am I going to entrust my technology with to? Yeah. James Rody Rhodes. That's the best person. Like, his, as, as Samuel L. Jackson was like, he took the suit. You tell me the brother came up in here and whooped your ass, kicked, kicked your ass and took your suit. Like, you know, there's obviously going to be redundancies about anyone taking his technology without his permission because he's Tony fucking Stark you know so i just think it was a case of him just choosing you know a... but from the drama angle i don't think that they played that like because once the shit goes down in iron man 2 mm. and like all of the hammer tech starts killing people at the expo <laughs> you know tony's like ah, i told you so anyway want to go fight these guys yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. take it outside yeah it was yeah they didn't really have like any emotional consequences for their Tone friendship like, the, the tone it never it never found its tone uh, wait, yeah. wait i want to fire two questions at you right before we go to the break all right sure, sure. you're a big marvel dude and you know is that supposed to be peter parker at the expo that is peter parker isn't it confirmed the, the iron man cap, uh, mask yeah the guy that nearly get, gets killed by the drone yeah. i guarantee you a hundred percent that was not the case in the script hundred mm. percent. but it is retroactively True. made canon by yeah. feige it's kind of like one of those things where you know how like a character won't have a name yeah. in a movie yeah kid then, number four but then yeah but then like the, the fans will give them a name so that becomes their name yeah, yeah. like the original hellraiser his name's not pinhead it's Hellraiser. Like, yeah that's not yeah so that was one of those things where like kevin feige put it out there where he's like yeah that was peter parker and now it's just lore it's yeah, it's, yeah. It, and why not because yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't it's matter. It's the Wayne's World rule, isn't yeah, it's it? Yeah, the Wayne's World rule. Uh, I know it's a small part, but we can do better. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, 
because there's no defining terms to say it's not, yeah. I fully accept it as it is. And I will always tell people, hey, that's Peter Parker. All right. And the last thing I'm going to say before the break, right, is because like one thing we love here um, and we didn't, I couldn't show it to you because it was Incredible Hulk and that motherfucker doesn't wear any suits. But something I always say right before we go to the break is what did you think of the suits? Because I'm all about suits and power sets. It's something we talk about a lot. Suits. And um, he's going to bring out something awesome here now. Watch. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite Iron Man suit of the entire avengers thing is the suitcase suit yeah i love that suit so and i have one of those funko pops i don't know if you can see it but it's the whiplash <laughs> that's awesome that's so what we are seeing now is a funko pop of whiplash doing battle with uh iron man from the scene on the monaco racetrack yeah yes. that to perfection yeah but yeah i love, <laughs> love the color scheme of it i love the practicality of it, it, it seems the, like a fit it of it. real. You the, know what I mean? That the was fit the of it. Yeah. it almost nearly mimicked the race suit that he yeah. wore underneath it. And yeah, it was kind of like a downscaled one, like a, a, a little bit more flexible, probably not as powerful. It has no guns, probably no yeah, arm. It's very weapon. flexible, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love I love that one as well. It, it has to me, it seemed like the next logical extension for Tony Stark to make. Like, it actually makes character sense that suit yeah because it's what if i'm abroad and something happens like yeah. i'm gonna need it really quick and i i love that and and they've always played with that to the extreme going forward i just thought that was so elegant and simple um you know you, you start getting to like the avengers where like he's landing on the roof and the, yeah. the machine ways taking all his stuff off and and then iron man 3 he literally is you know he's he's got he's got ptsd and he's he's just building suits for random like oh you know, yeah yeah Random suits that just do random shit. And, uh, you know, so they, they went a little far with it. I think that the suitcase suit not only looks awesome, but it's just a logical and what a hero shot. I mean, I'm not saying that the MCU should not have posing. Yeah. I think posing is great. Posing has gotten to the point where it's a joke within their own universe. Like, of course. Black <laughs> disgusting. Yelena, yeah. amazing Florence Pugh. Yeah, I'm okay with posing as long as it has, like, as long as the characters are real, it's not posing for posing's sake. Yeah. yeah. That shot of him putting on the suit in the suitcase on the racetrack, I mean, that's so badass. Yeah. I mean, it's just so fucking cool. I mean, I cannot, I love rewatching that clip. If I could ever send that gift to somebody, you know, he's taking it apart and it's coming on his yeah. chest. It's just yeah. so cool. So cool. Uh, yeah, and it looks so organic the way he kind of pulls it out yeah. of the briefcase. Like, you know, and but what did you think of, uh, I you know, what do you think of Whiplash Sue? Later on, War Machine, I thought it was very source material accurate, and in uh, Iron Man suit at the end. Um, I, I like the clunkier Iron Man suits because again, I, I think he's supposed to be wearing a weapon, and I, he, you know, he's yes. not as agile as Spider Man, and like a he's not as strong as the Hulk, is... and whatever. He's just his his whole thing is that he is wearing a weapon that he himself built. So it's his genius as he's super advanced prosthesis. But uh, I liked the I liked the suitcase suit. I liked all the suits in it. I, I think the only one I didn't like really was uh, Iron Man 3 went overboard with them. And then with the course, drones, the nanotech suit, I just thought was a cop out. It, it just didn't feel, I don't know. I didn't like you know, but the Iron Man 2 suits, the what? Iron Man 2 suit, I absolutely did you liked. like Whiplash and War Machine 2? Whiplash was like bring out the gimp. I think. Guys, do you see? He looked like a gimp. Yeah, you just bring out the gimp. Bring out the gimp from Pulp Fiction. You know, the Monaco racetrack, like with the, with the guy walking there bare chested with two whips. Yeah, yeah. but that, the whole point of the racetrack, he was never going to defeat him. Yeah. He just wanted to show that the technology is like accessible and is repeatable. Yeah. That Tony Stark is not a god, make a god bleed. What happens? The world stops believing in him. You know, that, he, that's what the Monaco attack was all about. Tony Stark is kind of like steve jobs in that not only does it have the functionality but it has kind of the style to it like an apple thing yeah 
Elon Musk is actually in Iron Man too. Elon Musk appears in Iron Man. Yeah, what I like uh, about the Whiplash suit is it is like, what if you had a genius who could make this, but doesn't have like the sleek, you know, uh, stuff. Like a steampunk. And that's what I like about it because it's like, yes, this is what a genius can do with less money, like less material. Yeah. It kind of has this funky, robust. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and, Soviet um, era. It's like this is what the Russians made, like you know that kind of thing. Yeah. It's like it's. Just... I do like that. I, I like the nano suit in Infinity War. Uh, I actually like the way Robert Downey Jr. looks without the helmet in the nano suit. It just kind of has a. I just like the way it's built. It's a cool thing. Um, like when he's talking with somebody with the armor on, but not the helmet. I think it actually looks pretty good. Uh, but yeah, they 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 haven't been the same since Iron Man two. Yeah, yeah, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, yeah, same as I even love the diner scene where he's actually sitting in the suit and you can yeah. tell he's wearing that he's suit. Eating. Yeah, you know what I mean. It just looks more well, that's real. A practical. Of I mean, that's him wearing a costume, and that you can feel that. Like you said, some sometimes the nanotech um, that separation. You get, you get that. Uh, there's a moment I love the scene, but it's always bothered me. It's that scene. It's the um, who's Gamora scene in <laughs> Infinity War. Uh, there's a moment when like, you know, they're all yelling at each other and Iron Man's helmet just disappears because the nanotech. Yeah. And, and it does have that floating head effect where you're kind of like, okay, that's clearly Robert Downey Jr.'s head inside a CGI character's body. It doesn't look real. Yeah. It's a little off-putting. It takes um, out of it. Always takes it out of it. Yeah. It removes you from the immersion you've had yeah. in the world. I because think. that's one thing you love about Batman. That actor's always wearing the suit. Always wearing a suit. Always yeah. wearing the suit. And that creates that textured reality. And like something we talked about in Iron Man 1 is John Favreau put up in the writer's room plausibility. And I think that's why maybe he left the Iron Man uh, series because he's seen that it was getting further and further away yeah. from the kind of grounded world that he'd built in the first place. Yeah. And I think that's why in Iron Man 3, Shane Black comes in and makes a horrific movie. Whatever, well, whatever. But, <laughs> but, um, but I just another think... Day, another day. I think that's why John Favreau left because he felt that the tone that he'd created maybe with the Universal or Paramount, yeah. whoever released the original ones, I think he felt that that tone was now going to be slowly abandoned for lack of a better term. And then uh, this tone that he was crafting was going to change throughout the movies in the universe. But um, uh, will we get the fuck we'll out here fuck for a break? So, um, well, uh, all right, cool. So this is Dark Side of the Moon, and uh, we'll see you after the break. Now, where's fresh spices? <laughs> I know that you've all been prepared for this, but I thought I'd just remind you just the same. Can you handle that? Game over, man. Game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Gosh. I want to buy some uh, radio ad time. Welcome back from the break. This is Dark Side of the Moon. And um, so uh, before we went to the break, we were talking about Iron Man 2 and we talked about all the different facets that made that movie what it is and um, what has given it its place. I've got a tiny bit sidetracked. You could probably accuse us of it. Yeah, but like that's what we always do. (laughs) But um, uh, So in the second half of the show, we always go with, we always do the what if, and we always do the best and worst, and then we get the fuck out of here. So the what if section, you know, is what if we were the directors of Iron Man 2, what we would have changed. And um, I'll throw it to you, Noel, and then I'll throw it to Will, and then I'll uh, jump in after you. Um, I think they tried to cram a little bit too much into it. I would have liked them to tell one story well, mm. whether it be Hammer, whether it be Ivan, or, or, or you know, focus on one thing. I think that they were spinning too many plates and they didn't manage to keep them all all um, spinning. 
Uh, I think dropped, dropped a few the ball, uh, in, in a few places. It didn't feel stop mixing your metaphors. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't feel coherent to me. It didn't feel like it didn't have any cohesion. And uh, I, I, again, if you were to like come in with bullet points and like standing there trying to get the money men to back mm. up back your movie, you could be like, look, and it's a story of a guy from his past. And, you know, is also a genius, and he's got like you know the military are pressuring him for weapons, and his friend Rody and Hammer and all this. You're kind of going, yeah, I think you're really onto something. Like the bullet points sound impressive, and then they, they just, sound like four movies. Just the execution. So I think if I was to change anything, I would make it good. Because <laughs> it, it wasn't good. I know. I thought it was a good movie. It's not it was a great okay. movie. It was okay, actually. I found it very yeah. inoffensive. I just, yeah. you know, it, it it was literally just the definition of fine. Yeah, inoffensive. Apart from where Tony clearly sexually harasses Black Widow. Yeah, the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you would though. You would. You would. <laughs> But yeah, and that, and just speaking of that Black Widow thing real quick, that goes to the points I was making about the characters developing through the actors. Because, yeah, you can tell that Black Widow was kind of made in this movie to be kind of the the the, the sexually attractive... Femme fatale. Uh, femme fatale kind of character. And eventually, Scarlett Johansson was able to... Flesh it out and make it her own, yeah. Because make it her own, she's a world class actor, though, Scarlett Johansson. I've said it for years. Yeah, so exactly. So she had she had time to develop that. So um, yeah, that's what I just wanted to say about that. What, what about you? Um, did you say did you put it to me as best and worst bin or did no? You, what if? What if? Yeah. What? So what if you're in the director's chair? What would have been different? Um. Well, I think we talked about it a little bit. I would. I would try to lay the seeds of a of a uh, multiverse, not a multiverse, but a, a expanded universe a little bit more. Maybe not. Uh, they did the right thing by keeping Hammer alive, but maybe, you know, you like you said, a little overstuffed. I think pick one or the other. Like, yeah. do Witch or do Hammer and have the consequences be severe enough that... Who would you have picked if you were to choice Whiplash or Hammer? It's so tough because the... the no offense the, in here, motherfucker. No, because the, the <laughs> beginning... Beginning portions are very successful. It's kind of like Spider-Man Three. Mm. Oh, that's that's I, my go-to film when I whenever I need to reference something that's just he's so up passionate. But like, you got so angry during oh, that episode. It was amazing. Because <laughs> in that movie, I think the Sandman stuff is brilliant I, in the beginning. Yeah. Like, I think they set up Sandman perfectly. He's got a very complex arc. You've got that situation where you are like. I'm not sure if he's good or bad. Runs into Venom know. in an alleyway. But then they have to introduce Venom and Sandman gets put to the side. I think the same thing happens in this movie. Whiplash goes from being kind of this pseudo-sympathetic character where you can mm. kind of understand, like, what what if Tony... It's, it's almost like the Superman Red Sun thing where it's like, what if Tony Stark grew up in Soviet Russia, you know? Yeah, yeah. Best line from the movie, though, you come from a line of thieves and butchers. Like, yeah, that's so one of the best lines in the movie. But after that scene, mm. he kind of evolves into a generic, like, yes. crazy person. And then Hammer isn't strong enough to be, like, the main villain at that point because they didn't yeah. develop him enough in the beginning. Yeah. So I don't, if I had to choose, I, I guess get Hammer out and go with mm. Blash because More compelling. focus on that relationship of that hurt that is caused from generations. And I think in the end, if you did that, you wouldn't have some of that redundancy in future films of, oh, Tony Stark screwed this guy over and now he's mad. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, so I would go with uh, take Hammer out 
and and especially in, in hindsight's 2020 hammer has played not that whiplash has um but whiplash at least at least the character still played <laughs> like what he learns from whiplash still plays into his character as opposed to hammer is inconsequential so mm. well i go with cool yeah and hammer has kind of become a running joke for lack of better because it's just like hammer tech keeps popping back up and yeah, failing yeah. throughout the universe. It pops back up in Spider-Man too. And I think and that's why a lot, a lot of people think Spider-Man is too intrinsically linked with the Iron Man franchise. Yeah. They call him Iron Boy a lot of the time online and stuff like that. Like, But like, uh, I think my, my big what if, um, I won't take the easy one and say Terrence Howard coming back because we all know I'm a big Terrence Howard fan or whatever. But um, my big what if, I think I would have... Shit, um, I should have been coming up with an answer while you were talking. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think my big what if would have been, I would have liked to have seen, I, I don't want to, I'm trying not to tread same, similar ground as you. Cause That's the hard thing. Yeah. You know, we all watched the same film and had similar kind of Yeah. Um, but uh, may, maybe a case of like uh, just developing uh, Venko more. I think, I think that's kind of similar to what you said. But like, I just think like um, Mickey Rourke, uh, he was at the peak of his abilities at that stage again. And he, I think it just made for right picking. He's, his background is so similar to Robert Downey Jr.'s. He had a tortured past. He had addiction issues. And it was kind of like, if you want to have the, not the mirror image of Robert Downey Jr., but kind of like the funhouse mirror image yeah, of yeah. Robert Downey Jr. And what would that be? And Mickey Rourke was kind of like the answer to come up with. It's yeah. kind of like, we looked at the ingredients that made Iron Man so special in its uh, protagonist. How can we kind of recreate that in a distorted sense in its antagonist? Yeah. And that's, I think, how they landed on Mickey Rourke and is the role of Whiplash. And I would have liked to see that uh, develop a bit more. And I think the difference I would have uh, done just to try to come up with a different opinion opinion slightly than you would be the design of the whiplash suit at the end i thought it was too similar to iron man suit one thing i loved about the suit at the start it was so different than iron man suit it's a complete different interpretation of the technology that was provided to him and i just thought that at the end it's just another armored suit i would have loved to have seen a bit like um a bit clunkier a bit more soviet era a bit more like uh, army tankish a bit more kind of like cumbersome and huge like kind of like but less le le maybe me i don't know do you go bigger than ironmonger do you go less it's, it's such a hard thing do you, what do you do ironmonger doesn't bother me because it makes sense because um what do you call it uh uh, Obadiah Stane is is manufacturing like reverse engineering that from the suit from the Mark that, One that from the Mark One and he's adding his own flair to it and it still has this kind of it, it's almost like it's also like the size of Obadiah Stane's ego it's exactly yeah. yeah so it kind of makes sense yeah the one in Iron Man two is a little redundant because it's kind of like yeah he's just making another like it, it that why imitate the, when he's supposed to be trying to do better yeah. too yeah, different. The Iron Monger suit makes both narrative and character sense. This one just seems like a little redundant. Yeah, and yeah. the Iron Man one suit I thought as well, but Iron Monger, it's like that generation, it was always bigger is better. Where uh, the generation 20 came from is more sleek. You yeah. have the iPhone, the tablet, like the computer design, it's totally different. The size of your car, we have more sports cars now, some more supercars. Yeah. Back then it was more muscle cars. And that, as you said, it made perfect sense in terms of the character and narratively to have the Iron Monger suit be big, be kind of uh, 
was it verbose you know that kind of like just be kind of loud in a very different way because he came from that era of world war ii the back of the end of that where tanks were massive you had a massive gun if you needed to blow something up you didn't make uh, armor piercing ammo you made a gigantic gun that just fired a gigantic shell yeah and that's what the ironmonger suit was whereas iron man's suit is kind of like i'm going to make armor piercing rounds i don't need to make a gigantic bullet yeah i just need to make a thing that can get through the armor and explode inside nullifying the armor that that's the dead. difference of the it technology yeah yeah you know so i just thought that's uh whereas we didn't see the russian influence in um whiplash's suit which i thought was kind of disappointing because at the beginning you kind of saw yeah. that soviet era that kind of he was russian, in it for like four fucking minutes <laughs> you know? yeah but you know at the start that suit he had was very bare minimum yes and i would have liked to seen the suit uh the armor later on be a little bit more bare minimum or slightly different yeah. or just just a different take a russian version like something i mentioned to you before we started recording was like i'd love to see a uh, Jap- I think I said it to you was a Japanese Iron Man and what the Japanese technology would look like when implemented into that suit because I think it'd be very different maybe samurai-esque or something you could play with like lightning swords or something and I just think we didn't see enough of that difference in Whiplash's suit but I think that'd be like as long as it doesn't look like the suit at the end of uh, the Wolverine uh, <laughs> samurai adamantium suit or whatever Awful. the hell that was yeah uh, I mean I actually don't mind that movie that much. It just that at the end is like too far. Yeah, <laughs> overshot the mark completely. Yeah, it was like Jane Shredder. Jane, Sh- Jane Shredder is exactly like pretty much yeah, super super Shredder. super Shredder. Yeah, it was Pebba Kevin Nash <laughs> in the original. Actually, speaking of how bad that was, it does kind of lend itself to the best and worst question. Yeah, best. So, so Will, I, I said the what if to Noah first. So when you look at the Iron Man experience, what is your best and what is your worst? Or Iron Man Two experience. Sorry, what do you take from that movie and what is your best from that and what is the worst? I know this is cheesy, um, but it's it's such a it, to me it is so emotionally powerful, uh, and this is why I know, another reason why I defend against the cinema people that say like these films have no characters. The scene with Howard Stark, you know, kind of the old Walt Disney footage kind yeah, of thing, yeah, where, he, yeah. where he says, "My greatest creation is you." Is I still to this day since that movie came out, I actually send that gift to my daughter sometimes. Yeah. Just be like, because it'll be like, you know, my, my greatest invention was you. like, that is something that not only the character needed, but mm. like the, the great thing about the script and, and they, they reference it in Iron Man one and they double down on it in this one is that like Tony's got daddy issues, yeah, you know? Yeah. And, and the fact that that gets resolved in a effective way it's, and i don't think it's cheesy I, I it's cheesy that i send the gift to my daughter but i don't yeah. think it's cheesy film to me that's one of my the guy from actually, mad men I, plays his father what's his name yeah oh. john slatter yeah. john slatter uh, yeah when i was writing for 25yl i actually before endgame came out i actually did top 10 moments from the mcu up to that point and i had that in there um, because I just love that moment. It's so essential to the character. Downey Jr. just acts the hell out of that. I mean, yeah. like the, that's, that's how you know you got a good actor when you know you can read what they're thinking in their yes. eyes. Yes, still taking me to school, yeah. Dad. That's not what he said to him. Dead twenty years, and you're, you're still, still taking me to school. Yeah. Still school. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just shows that he has a complete admiration yeah. for his father. And despite how narcissistic he yeah. can be. Uh, he's his father's son. He has you know? heroes as well. Like, yeah. Yeah. And That's even a nice I, for best. It's a nice Even answer. though I, I like the scene in Endgame where Tony gets to finalize that that stuff with his dad, you know, 
because John Slattery is a great actor too. Like yeah. he's a great, like he knows how to play people. Like he's like, when you watch Mad Men, I mean, he is kind of like Robert Downey Jr. too. He's this kind of very slick, sarcastic, overconfident person. Yeah, he's pretty uh, It was perfect casting. And though I like it in Endgame that they get a moment where like Tony gets to say goodbye and, and you know it's kind of setting up the fact that Tony's going to die. Yeah. Um, if they never touched on it again, this would have been the perfect end to that whole arc about his father. Like, because it's just so powerful. Sharing, so sharing that bond through their love of technology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That yeah. would have been totally fine if they never brought up the father again, because we would have got all the closure and character development yeah. that we needed. And uh, so that is my best for sure from this movie. I take that away wherever I go. I'm watching worse. Flip it. Um... <sighs> It could be something super, like you went with just a kind of a, a very small scene for your best. It could be something superficial. You know, you hated the suit. Well, yeah. We know you like the suit. But. I enjoy this scene because it's ludicrous and it may be a very obvious answer. But yes, the bird sequence is stupid. Yeah, um, I want my bird. Because Bring me my bird, William. Bring me my bird. Because we have a... And scene. We have this very bar like... I don't know how to explain this is what's so weird to me and i guess it's a hammer wanting to be a stark thing but this isn't very starky but like there's a moment where like hammers like in an airport hangar with like fine dining he's eating ice cream like, yeah that was, nice. yeah it was an odd scene that was because there was a, a, a film with merle streep has a similar scene and sam rockwell wanted to recreate that scene uh, okay okay because uh, it just feels so weird because this this should be the moment where our two villains who have these issues with our main like our main character, you know, should be having this bonding moment or like even if they have tension with each other, that's fine. But it devolves into this like eat the goofball, and then you got Whiplash being a goofball, and it's just this goofy. It, it takes all of any kind of character they built up with Whiplash having this actual motivation, yeah, and just turns it into this bizarro comedy scene that takes away any bite from either of them. Like an odd Copa type moment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it, that scene is so unnecessary. It actually kind of kills the enemy momentum. Yeah. In the end, like, I, like, I don't care if either of them die at that point. I'm just like, whatever. Oh, yeah, I, mean, no, I didn't care. I checked out. I definitely checked out with that. Yeah. I, that was definitely a moment, a turning point in the film, I think. Okay. What what was what's your best and worst? Best, my my best is simply Robert Downey Jr. He was just fantastic in this. Mm. Like he actually, you know, he, he just the torture of of being that kind of genius. I actually just thought he was just excellent in the film. And of course, that's a bit of a cop out because it's Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man. It's well established that he's an absolutely <laughs> phenomenal actor, but especially phenomenal Iron Man. But I just thought he he like this film was entertaining because he was in it. Um, and I'm talking about Tony Stark. I could I could have taken or leave an Iron Man. You know what I mean? I thought the, the fight scenes were like over the top and kind of I don't know. They didn't they didn't have any gravitas. But uh, if I was to say with the worst, I would just have to go the antagonist just to flip it. And it's not against the actors. It was two badly fleshed out characters instead so of one good. The two antagonists out. you didn't like Whiplash and Justin Hammer. Hammer. Well, I know. It's not. Yeah, neither of them were fleshed out enough for them to have any kind of. And two work really top level actors. Sam Rockwell, amazing actor. Mickey Rourke, a great actor yeah, in his day. It, it was. They did two things wrong, and they should have done one thing right. And that's something that something that we seem to have consensus about. So I'm going to use that for my answer. Ben? So uh, yeah, I think the best thing I thought about Iron Man Two is the world building. 
because just little bits of world building here and there and I love subtle world building and especially the introduction of Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow because she became such a pivotal character throughout yeah. Captain America the Avengers movies and she wasn't hinted at she was in it yeah exactly you know? and I love Scarlett Johansson I think she's actually a great great actor like, aside from the fact that she's aesthetically like stunning or whatever she is actually an amazing actor and I just I defer anyone to just go watch her the movie where she doesn't actually appear physically in the movie, but she owns the entire movie with her and Joaquin Felix. And it's just an amazing movie. And it just proves to anyone that like, she's far more than the cosmetic beauty. Yeah. And that's what at the start is just like the show, the cosmetics side is kind of like what the world, how they perceive Scarlett Johansson. And it's the same way Robert Downey Jr. perceives her. And then you see the layers to Natasha yeah. Yeah. as it goes on. It's kind of like the way you see the layers of Scarlett Johansson as her career is developed. Yeah. And that's one thing I love about it. And then you see later on as well, it's like the a kind of like a side moment where you go, uh, Nick Fury's like you're not the biggest thing that's happening now even in the southwest or yeah. somewhere I've got bigger issues than you in the southwest where he's hinting at Thor's hammer falling from the heavens or whatever so I just love the little tidbits of world building that they just kind of placed here and there yeah. that we knew that they're hinting at things but wasn't really touched on like Wakanda being on the map I, yeah I exactly I did, exactly so little easter probably, eggs that Marvel yeah. have become uh, well known for renowned for that they do that sort of world building better than anyone it's the reason like uh, Universal's um, monster universe uh, multiverse Balance, didn't work yeah. and it's the reason why uh, DCU ECU didn't work because that they just tried to rush Whereas Marvel do subtle world building and introducing yeah. characters like Natasha here, Natasha Romanoff became the Black Widow. We see Justin Hammer who had a smaller role, but Hammer Tech is out there now. And it just shows the different kind of iterations and the different ways that the world is going to develop throughout the following movies. Um, and I just like that even though Iron Man 2 is, slight, is a lot weaker than Iron Man 1, like, we can't deny that. But there is elements there that are very redeemable. And I think the, one of them is the world building and okay. definitely the introduction of Black Widow. And the worst thing about it, I think, was it's just, I just think there was just too many cooks in the oven or, or too, many too, many chefs cooks in the kitchen. too many cooks in the kitchen. I just think like, when you look back over it, trying not to be repetitive, but there's too many yeah, villains. Your worst is similar to my worst. Your yeah. worst is similar to my worst. Too. Yeah, it's just too many villains in in the movie. I think like, and that's normally the case in the third movie in the trilogy where you get that bloated kind of villains where you yeah. need and you need like, oh, this villain you have to recon this, you have to recon this. And sometimes when you have too much backtracking in the story, it distracts from what's going on. And, and I think Eternals, even though it was a good movie, it was suffered from that because there was so much uh, exposition and so much backstory they had to make that it distracted from the Icarus of it all or the main storylines that are happening right now in present day. I think with Iron Man 2, it's a bit retrospective at times. Yeah. And that's maybe the worst thing about it at times. But I love the scenes with John Slattery, like Will spoke about. I love to see the developments in the technology. But one thing I really hate about the Iron Man franchise is the arc technology is not attainable by anyone until we need a new villain. And then all of a sudden yeah. it's out there. And it's like it's like it's super... Uh, 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 repeatable you know that kind yeah, of way yeah, and that just annoys me yeah. that like mass uh, manufactured even yeah exactly like you know and I just think that sometimes something I spoke about the super soldiers and the black widows yeah. and the widows themselves that the more of it that there is you take away the specialness of the character and I think the fact that anyone could replicate the arc reactor in such a close time from Iron Man 1 and Iron Man 2 and you had some of the best scientists that were working in Stark Industries yeah. that said that they I'm couldn't do Stark. it yeah, I'm not Tony Stark Tony Stark did this in a cave I'm not Tony Stark you yeah. know so it just shows it takes away from the specialness of Tony Stark's genius a little bit I think having Whiplash having the same technology but also it shows that Whiplash himself is a genius yeah good alright can you? Can I just do a side thing real quick? Because you were mentioning Black Widow. Yeah. 
And uh, this was the beginning. Uh, usually every character in every movie, no matter what, even if it takes place like the next day, they always get something modified to their uniform or costume. Um, this, I, I'm going to say right out the gate, is one of my favorite Black Widow hairstyles. Yeah, what, oh, what do you guys think yeah. on the Black Widow hairstyles? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like it's the most comic accurate, I think, of all of the portrayals of Black Widow. The curls, they, they look fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I, she looked like I she would my, lift it straight off the page. Yeah. Yeah. The, this, my, my second favorite is probably the straight from straight hair from Winter Soldier, and then I do like the blonde. Mm. And in, Scarlett Johansson is flawless. Yeah. She really is. Though. She's like, she got, does she have purple hair? Yeah. Check. I know it's shallow, but I I love her look in this film too. Yeah. We're talking about how great of an actress she is, great character and everything. And it's course, true, but yeah. she is also just oh, yeah. exactly. Character. But superhero movies are very aesthetic yeah. based. They need the cool Andrew suits. Cavill is a very good looking dude. Chris Hemsworth is a very very good looking dude. Exactly, yeah. and he yeah. looks cool as Thor. Yeah, he needs that look to be Thor in the same way Scarlett Johansson needs that look to be Black Widow. Yeah, you know what I mean. So aesthetics are hugely important in superhero yeah, of movies, course. especially, especially when you're capturing source this, material yeah. that really already exists. Yeah, because you need to capture the character from the page. You know, it'll be my best. A one A. Scarlett <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Johansson's amazing curly hair in this. Like, yeah. She looks absolutely stunning in that final scene where she's taking everybody down like a badass. Yeah. It's so badass that I think they still use clips of that. I'm not sure. I don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they still use a clip of that in the Marvel logo, like the Marvel well, Studios logo. Yeah. What she's doing to her Corona? Is it yeah. the head scissors? I still think they have a clip from yeah, that. It was great, yeah. That's how badass that scene is. It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I love the way, yeah, they kind of just turn it on its head instead of like back in the day, be a woman fighting one woman, a guy takes out 12 dudes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fight, they, they yeah John Favreau. That's what yeah. I love about him as a director. He loves to have a bit of fun. Yeah. And it's him, like the director, he picks, like, I'm going to be the dude fighting one guy for like five minutes when she takes out like a dozen dudes. Yeah. Like yeah, amazingly. I got him. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> sure. and I love the way you get to see the wide range of Black Widow's uh, yeah. technology uh, and her little gadgets and stuff, and her, mixed with her Super martial smart. arts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Infiltration. Yeah. No. So we get the fuck out of here. Get and here. so, Will, before we go, I want to say one last thing. So, would you say Iron Man Two has aged well throughout the past decade? I think, in terms of the way that the MCU was built, yeah. Uh, I think in terms of the phase one movies, yeah. um, is it the best film? No, I would probably give that to either Iron Man 1 or Captain America, yeah. the first Avenger. But I think it was ahead of its time in terms of how to properly tell a singular story within an expanded universe. Yeah. So I actually... While it's expanding the universe as well. Yeah, and I think uh, while I've... Like when I do rewatches and stuff, like with my daughter and things, when we go in chronological order mm. or order of the release, I should say. Um, like I am never bored, and I think that it it fits in well with what the MCU would become, yeah. regardless regardless of the story limitation. So I think it's aged really well. It fits in perfectly. It's like read to me. It's like reading. Yeah, it does uh, have that Marvel blueprint. Yeah, that aged well for you too. No, yeah, I think it has. I really do think it has, and I know I was quite yeah. hard in the film. But well, I do think it just it, it it doesn't it feels like it could have been in phase two if they wanted to you know what I mean Iron Man had very much so arrived 
So I do think it's like there has been weaker sequels in the MCU. Yeah, exactly. There has been weaker like sequels. in in hindsight, you know, there has been like Thor: Dark World. Even like you'll admit, maybe Iron uh, Ant Man Two was a lot as, as a weaker sequel than the first out in. Like okay, you know, again, we got a head shake there that, <laughs> for another day too. Yeah, but yeah. So Will, you're going to come back for the Ant Man trilogy without a doubt. That's been predecided, uh, predestined. And um, so Will, thanks for coming on thanks again. For coming on, Will. And uh, this was uh, uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Nearly said invasion of party yeah, starts again fucking hell October but this is the, uh, too professional super professional <laughs> super professional but this is uh, Dark Side of the Moon I'm your host Vincent Green I'm your host Noel John Dewey we got Carmack in the back that's Will Johnson Will thank you so much for coming on see you next time motherfuckers peace, peace. out